Hi there. My name is Duncan, and you're listening to Roscast, a personal podcast for Ros Richards. Today's reading is from a newsletter about traditionalism, sustainability, localism, and urbanism that I like to follow. It's written by an anonymous individual who I know only as the Wrath of Gnon, G-N-O-N. Um, and that sounds maybe a little arcane. And honestly, the topic of the reading today is kind of a bit arcane too. It's titled How to Build a Small Town in Texas. Um, but the reason I chose it is because I'm very interested in community. And what I really like is that it exposes all the things that you need to think about while building a real, physical, sustainable community in a place. Um, so I found it tremendously interesting. And I hope you do too. Let's get started. Of all the questions I get on Twitter, the most common is this. How do you build a town? We know well how it used to be done, but these last one or two centuries, we've forgotten how to do it, with only a handful of notable exceptions during the last century. The other day I was asked again, but this time with a set of premises that made the question a little bit easier to approach. I've anonymized all the details, but the general idea remains. Four guys, friends, with money, have bought a suitably large piece of land in Texas, and they now want to create a car-free, human-scale town of the kind that I'm always writing about. To create a human-scale town, we first establish what is a good size, and this is simply one-third of a square kilometre, about 82 acres, or 0.13 square miles. 80 acres was the upper limit for a good family farm in medieval England, and it's still the size at which the the most flexible and efficient farms run, both modern and more old-fashioned Amish family farms. It allows a town where no point can't be reached on foot in 15 minutes, and it allows comfortable living for a population of about 3,000 people, which was considered the ideal size in medieval Europe, the upper limit of efficiency and comfort, productivity and harmony. More and you get crowded, less and you risk being without some important trades or activities. Even though the premise talks about a town of 600, let's plan three centuries ahead for a maximum population of about 3,000. A good town, the urban, is clearly defined and set apart from the countryside, the rural. The suburban has no place here. Hence, the town needs to be as clearly marked out and defined as the individual family lots will, to here but no further. For this purpose, we'll mark out the land to be used as a wall, a raised embankment, a hedge, a fence, a moat or a canal, some sort of edge which is not routinely or distractedly crossed. As for shape, I recommend a somewhat irregularly oval shape, near round in one extreme or kind of rice grain shaped in the other extreme, for the simple reason that the best towns and cities seem to be oval to some degree. As far as possible, the existing topography should be kept or even enhanced. Perfectly flat land is only popular with boring developers, so no bulldozing allowed. Existing trees should be left and existing paths should be left too, even when slightly inconvenient. New paths and streets should follow the contours of the land. Anything historic, an old campsite, an ancient grave, the remains of an old farmstead, should be kept and protected and venerated. 
History is in short supply in new developments, and interesting stories can be woven around something as mundane as an abandoned old cart or a well. Since the premise is Texas and undeveloped land, I'm imagining land that is more or less parched, but with short and intense annual rains that will risk flooding the entire area. The town is going to be in a perpetual state of drought and needs to be prepared for flash floods. Hence, cisterns, reservoirs and water harvesting will be vital, and whatever gets built, roofs will harvest water into private cisterns or ponds, and all streets will direct stormwater to overflow-proofed cisterns. An area the size of two or three football pitches outside the town will be devoted to flood protection and temporary storage of water. During most of the year, this land will be dry and a perfect spot for sports, barbecues, festivals, playgrounds, fairs or markets. This arrangement should make the town self-sustainable in household water at least. Pumping groundwater should not be an option. It's just not sustainable in an arid or semi-desert environment and Texans already know how to build and manage water harvesting infrastructure. There's no need to reinvent the wheel and spend tons of resources on piping in water from a distance. There'll be an urge to build each home optimised for air conditioning. Don't. All buildings must be useful and livable even with the power cut. Hence, natural ventilation. Strategically designed windows that open is necessary. Obviously, you can add in air conditioning on top of that, but in no way should the town be dependent on air conditioning. I don't think a town can casually produce the energy it needs by itself. For that, a far more serious effort would be needed. But even if the grid is cut, it should have enough to power food storage, basic lights and communications, including Wi-Fi. This can be achieved with limited private and public photovoltaic power. For hot water, solar heaters are useful even in a Texan winter, and all homes will be equipped with fireplaces, wood stoves and chimneys. Once you remove the need for heating, cooling and transport from a town's energy needs, you're left with something that will easily run on limited solar power and attach batteries in case of a grid failure. It will also save the town and its people huge amounts of money even in the near future. For food, the town should not spare any effort to be self-sustainable. Food items are also a prime export product, especially high-end refined items. Exporting raw materials and food isn't a very good use of resources. This kind of export provides jobs and income and is a sure way to draw in tourists. And for this purpose, there will be no lawns in this, set, in this town, but plenty of gardens, orchards, streetside herbs, rooftop apiaries and flowers to feed the bees that inhabit them. The rural area, the market garden zone, surrounding the town out to a radius of one mile should be devoted more or less entirely to food production in some form and it should be farmed primarily by the people living in town on either a professional or a hobbyist level. Either one is fine. Create the best allotment system in Texas. The second belt is the farm zone. Here I would recommend, if not enough farmers can be found, to offer the land at good prices to Amish families to farm. 800 acres is enough for about 10 farms. They also have the expertise to run a farm in any sort of an energy crisis. The rule of thumb is that only people who live directly off the land should live in the rural area, the farm zone. Inside the town, basic facilities for food processing should be found. From feed and dairy refinement to meat processing. People should be encouraged to plant espaliered fruit trees on every suitable south-facing wall. 
Poultry, pigs and rabbits should be kept, not only for meat and eggs, but also to produce high-quality fertilizer for the poor soil in the area. And this goes for human manure as well. Pesticides and chemical fertilizers should be completely banned from the start. Water should be treated organically and as low-tech as possible on-site. A good code hack for any small town was developed in the town of Seaside, Florida. One 14 by 14 feet area of a lot has no height limitation. This spurs people to build towers and spires, which are useful for housing bats and pigeons, which help in pest control. Pigeons are also an unbeatable supply of food. Some space in the town itself should be reserved for food production, dovecuts, commons for grazing, and so on. A small town like this doesn't need any parks, so instead institute seed gardens, small gardens that are used only for producing seeds of vegetables and herbs. Encourage people to keep flowers to help honey production, and consider instituting a program where each square foot of flower pot space gives you a certain weight of honey from the public or private apiary. Ideally, you want to build a new town in a region where there are already people present near larger cities or along a necklace of small towns. This makes it easier to attract citizens, and it also makes the town less isolated, more easily connected to outside markets, tourism, and so on. But in this scenario, the land is kind of marginal and a bit far away from towns and airports, so save space for a convenient and scenic, you can't do this fast at scale, railway system or canal or a river ferry connection to the nearest larger town. This will not only raise the value of the town land itself, but everything it produces will have better access to a market, especially perishables. It's also a great way to bring tourism into a city without having to provide parking. It is possible to build isolated cities, but the chances of succeeding are so slim that I wouldn't recommend it. Decide from the beginning where you want a possible rail station. By the gate, inside the town, through the town, it's easy to prepare the ground now rather than wait until it's all developed and built up. All materials used as far as possible should be of local origin. In Texas, that means the town will be built from rammed earth, adobe bricks, some fired bricks or stone. No concrete, no vinyl sidings or clapboard. None of these things are ideal in an arid town environment anyway. Certainly no plastic. Before anything gets built, a pattern book for the town must be developed that should have a few basic building types for new residents to easily build that will fit in anywhere in the town. A colour pattern will also be developed using locally accessible earth tones and pigments. If the local geology provides some odd hue of green or yellow, then here's a chance to make the town stand out from the very beginning. Official or public buildings should be set in a specific colour to create a coherent pattern for the town. I recommend bright yellow and white trimmings for this purpose. In the beginning, especially in a town planned for 3,000 but only housing 100 to 600, there's going to be plenty of empty lots. These should still be managed and walled or fenced with the understanding that they will sooner or later be built upon. For now, the gaps can be filled with low walls and contained gardens or playgrounds until they're sold or developed. Fast-growing trees can also be grown on empty land and used as energy or raw materials. Obviously, the town will need to generate a working income, so lots will be sold to the highest bidder. But you'll also want to reserve lots for the people who matter to the town i.e. you need things like a parish house, a dentist. I highly recommend you save an excellent spot in the town centre to offer at very low cost to whoever decides to, provi- to practice dentistry there. Uh, 
also a schoolmaster, a clinic, a grocery store at least. Your first and most obvious potential clientele will be the builders, the plasterers, the masons, well drillers, cistern makers, ditch diggers, hod carriers, but also carpenters, plumbers, glaziers, electricians, and Wi-Fi technicians who are actually building the town. So you're going to want to offer them a chance to live there affordably within their means. Let the people who contribute and have skin in the game have a first go at acquiring land. The surveyor who surveys his own home will work twice as accurately, and the carpenter who builds for himself will work twice as hard. You'll also want craftsmen and small business owners to relocate to the town, and they're going to need workers. All buildings must be owner-occupied. You don't want a town of renters or absent landlords. Set lots aside to develop guest houses, inns, small hotels, or rentable properties for short or long-term visitors and guests. Reserve the most valuable street front lots to the people who want to run stores, eateries, and other businesses. Without motor vehicles and endless power flowing through the socket, this is going to be a remarkably quiet town. The loudest noise you're going to hear on a typical day will be the children playing or a conversation between neighbours in the street, and so it should be. Keep your lots small and all buildings aligned right to the edge of the lot facing the street, leaving backyards and courtyards, common or private, and walled gardens on the unused space. Even a small town needs neighbourhoods, and neighbourhoods need a character and a colour or personality of their own. Since there are four guys building this town, give them a quarter each for their own personal whims and quirks. Maybe one guy has a thing for public wall-mounted fountains, so he asks all the builders there to install them. Another might have a thing for the colour purple, so he asks all the buildings to use purple in some way or other for maybe doors or trimmings or flower pots. This sounds kind of whimsical, but it's vital. Most people love the quirky and they detest the bland. Any town also needs a story or a founding myth, and if it doesn't have one, let's make one up. The easiest way to make a new development town or building fit in is to make it look like it's always been there. The newest building on the block should always look like the oldest. In the case of Texas, this means the town is going to be built to a mission, Spanish colonial or German colonial style, or a mixture of these. It should look like it was founded or laid down in 1667 or 1746, not in 2022. People will call pastiche or Disneyland on this, but don't listen to them. If you use genuine materials and colours, it will only take a few years to mellow in and look like it's always been there. Don't develop the best lots and the best locations first. Save them for later. In the meantime, pop-up stores and light, movable homes and buildings, maybe even simple stick frames, placeholders, can be placed on the prime lots to be replaced by more permanent constructions as the needs and wishes of the town become apparent. This is a chance to build the funky saloons, the charming post office, the rows and rows of shops and cafes that make the town a fun place to visit without committing for entire generations. If they do great, make them permanent, and if not, move them out and replace them. Experiment. The same thing applies for street furniture. Fountains, benches, water troughs, hitching posts, and so on. Build fast and simple placeholders and see which ones get used and loved. Make those ones permanent. The ones that no one cares about, remove, change, replace. Rome was not built in a day. Also remember the golden rule of placemaking. When building anything, build on the least attractive part and improve it while keeping the views of the more beautiful parts intact. 
Texas is hot and sunny, so streets are going to need to be relatively narrow, and your main streets should have covered walkways or porticos. Look at Bologna for a famous example, or Old Havana with its tarpaulins shading the streets, or even Old Singapore with its covered merchant sidewalks. Useful street trees should of course be planted, as many as possible under the limitations of water and rainfall, with a good mixture of flowering trees, shade trees, evergreens and fruit trees, both male and female, with an emphasis on useful native trees. Give each neighbourhood its own square, and make the entrances gated or arched, and the streets offset so that no street intersects another. Each neighbourhood or even set of homes should have a pocket square adjacent to it. The town itself should have a central square, even if it doesn't have to be in the centre of the town itself. It could be in front of one of the main gates, or up on a hill, or down in a hollow, with some sort of trees or water feature if possible. Water should be available in the form of fountains and faucets, water troughs and wall-mounted fountains as far as possible almost anywhere. And just like the front door is the most important part of a home or building in how it interacts with its neighbours and the street itself, so should the town have a dignified entrance. A gate or portal or archway or a flanked street or special pavement or something that tells the visitor, this is our town, we live here and we're proud of it. You really can't go over the top here. The gate can be lockable if you want or just open at all times. It could be freestanding or built into homes or even a building in itself. The most common response when I claim that we should keep cars out of cities is, what about emergency services? Having a single ambulance in town is no problem, and hopefully it'll be rare to see it on the streets. Same thing with firefighters. Long hoses and mobile pumps and ladders are good enough for a town with no buildings over two or three floors. But a small ladder engine can be kept in town if it's deemed necessary. A town without cars is more accessible for everyone, including the handicapped, wheelchairs and so on, especially for the two large groups of people who can't drive even under the best of circumstances, the very elderly and the very young. There are many ways to move goods and materials, pianos, washing machines and so on, that don't include moving vans and trucks, even though obviously exceptions can be made for these purposes. Cargo bikes, wheelbarrows, hand-powered cargo rail and so on. For residents who are temporary, temporarily unable to leave their homes, a human-scale walkable town is the perfect setting for quick and local delivery services, or just plain charitable spirits and helping each other out. But where will people keep their cars? Outside the city boundaries somewhere. I have a pet theory that you can tell how free a city is by how irregular its grid pattern is. Grids are great for managing traffic and not much else really. A town with an irregular street pattern is much more charming. If you think of a town as a home, the streets in a gridded town are its corridors. Not useful very much for anything, but in a town with an irregular street pattern they become rooms or real places. If you have a grand building, let it stop a street. In urbanism this is called a terminating view or a focused street. If you have several beautiful elevations in a row, curve the street to properly show them off to the pedestrian. It could be kind of hard to take in a building if you're next to it on a straight street or lot line. Consider also if streets are always necessary. Sometimes it can be better to divide buildings and blocks um, and allow them to be a series of interconnecting pocket squares or little plazas. Consider also what a street can be good for apart from just foot traffic. Is it narrow enough to shelter from the sun? Can the south side be covered to provide a place for shops or outdoor seating from a cafe? 
Is there a convenient corner to stop and fix a flat tire or water a thirsty mule? And what about when you enter a new street? Is the scene well set? Does every turn and every corner fulfill its potential to present a charming and attractive scene? That should get you a long way. And in the next version, I'll focus on how to set things up to maximize the chances that an organic, real, honest community forms. Thank you very much. That's all for Roscast for today. Next month, you'll get another reading from Roz. Thanks for listening. <laughs>